As I recall, it's not really fair to put that L on me because you didn't have adequate hardware. What are you talking about? I didn't have so, adequate hardware. We tried swapping hardware around or something. All right, didn't we? Uh, we tried a different... We didn't try all card. my sound cards. Okay. I think by that time we were both kind of worn out. And just we were tired of trying everything random. I know we, we swapped in and out stuff several times. So I'm going to put that L no, on you because no, you no, didn't have adequate hardware. because that's on hardware. you. You were sitting there. So anyway, hold on. Time out. And you I, could have disabled uh -uh, no. sound completely. No, it, well, I tried. And, and, I did try And people try even said that you should be able to patch it out, and you chose not to. So that's an L on you. But here's the thing, Jeff. If you were able to install Linux on all three PlayStations of mine, the 2, 3, and 4, that would be three wins. So then that, yeah, I wouldn't think of it that, way. that would then be three against your two L's. You would come out on top. Why do I feel like I'm being set up here? Because you're being set up here. <laughs> okay. Just so we're clear. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess I'm being set up. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to talk to Jeremy and, and make this happen. You know he will. You know he will. Okay, Jeff, so I'm curious as to your thoughts on Microsoft continuing to purchase every game studio that it can get its hands on. Well, when you said Microsoft at first, I was thinking, I don't know where he's going with this, but this is going to be an interesting episode. Okay, video game studios. Um, uh, I think they kind of have to. They're getting, getting their ass handed to them for the last five years by Sony and PlayStation. Have to? Yeah, they can't. They can't figure out how to get game studios want to be exclusive on their platform, so they just got to buy everything. They launched their new console last year, or a year and some change ago, and they had no platform exclusives. And so it was like, well, why am I going to buy this thing? So it makes sense that they would do so. I just think it's kind of, first of all, very expensive. And second of all, what are they going to do? If they're buying a game studio to make some things exclusive, then what does that do to PlayStation? Really hurts them. So, so like, uh, they bought Activision, right? So, Activision they Blizzard. bought Bethesda Zenimax last year, or, yeah, I think that was last year, the year before last. Sounds right. And then recently they bought Activision Blizzard and King. Oh, I didn't hear about King. Yeah, because they needed Candy Crush. <laughs> okay, okay, that one, that doesn't make sense to me. I guess people play that on consoles, too. But, uh... And apparently they also bought something with global esports through Major League Gaming as well. Oh. MLG, I haven't heard that term in a long time. Wow. I guess I'm just not in the esports room. I think it's amusing that they're doing this, but at the same time, I kind of... I guess I feel like they have to. They've, they've not done a good enough job building partnerships with game studios, and if they want their console to remain relevant, then they got to do that. But I also see there's some other reasons to do so. I've been reading a lot about NFTs and NFT marketplace coming out and all kind of stuff and, and thinking about how current digital, digital distribution model of video games doesn't really make a lot of sense for end users. Okay, so before we jump onto NFTs, I want to stick with the um, purchasing of studios first. Because okay, that's good. you keep saying that they had to. Yeah, I think they did. And your argument is that they couldn't, I, I don't know, they couldn't get studios to make stuff exclusive for Xbox. Right, yeah. So... Could they have maybe paid these studios more? Like, aren't there other options between we can't get people to make stuff for our thing exclusively for free, 
In other words, we don't have to pay them to do it. They're just going to decide out of the goodness of their heart to do it. And we're going to buy this company. Like, aren't there a few steps between there when businesses kind of, I don't know, do this thing. What's that word? Oh, yeah, negotiate and and, and oh, try yeah. to come up with terms that benefit both parties instead of just go there from are, yeah. nothing to we own you. Well, why don't we ask NVIDIA about ARM then? Because we had this very same discussion several weeks ago. And it didn't go through. About this very thing. And ARM is, uh, NVIDIA well, is apparently dropping it. So they're off, Yeah. Um, but I asked the question, why? what's the middle ground between NVIDIA buying them or not? Why would they want to buy them? Why was that mandatory for them? And I think the same reason why it would be mandatory for NVIDIA to buy ARM is why it's mandatory for Microsoft to buy these game studios. I think that's a stretch because NVIDIA buying ARM directly relates to the, um, the performance of the hardware that they make. All right. Uh, Call of, or not Call of Duty, uh, yeah, Call of Duty being an exclusive on Xbox, yes, it's a financial benefit for Microsoft, but Microsoft is not dependent on that. They don't have to have Call of Duty in their library, whereas NVIDIA has to have CPUs in their system. Okay, I see what you're saying. So I think, I think, like, I understand where you're going, but I think the situations are a lot different. Okay. And again, like, I'm not saying that I, I think... Well, let me let me rephrase that. I don't like that Microsoft is buying everything. Be, uh, uh, I don't yep. think that this is the best option for the industry. I would have preferred for them to do the typical business thing and negotiate with these companies to try to convince them to make exclusives for Xbox. Now, obviously, companies weren't doing it. So the question is, well, why weren't they doing it? So, like, there's right. a lot of things that kind of surround the issue. And whatever those reasons were, I'm sure that there could have been ways for Microsoft to resolve those those problems, those issues. But when you just start going buying up the industry, I mean, at what point does this become an antitrust issue? Because Microsoft owns gaming, and then, oh yeah, there's also Nintendo over here on the side kind of doing its own thing, and then there's PlayStation, which now can't get any of the major games because Microsoft owns them all, and it can use its market dominance to go, well, no, you can't, none of these games will ever be on PlayStation because F Sony. So like, at what point does this become an antitrust issue? Well, okay, there's there's an angle here too. The last generation of consoles, Microsoft lost badly. I don't remember how many millions of units Microsoft sold, but PlayStation 4 sold something north of 100 million units. That's It's more than that. I think it's, uh, that, the figure I'm remembering is from like end of 2019 or 2020, something like that. So it's been another year and some change and we had COVID and people are like, oh gosh, I'm stuck inside. Let me go buy a console. So I'm sure that's gotten even worse. So PlayStation 4 beat the crap out of Xbox One. I just, I don't know how or why it happened, but a lot of it can be traced back to exclusivity rights to certain killer games, killer apps, right? Content is king. So you can have the best ecosystem, you can have the best console out there, but if you don't have content to go on those things, then you have nothing. Like, that's one of the problems that VR has had in the last five years. Up until they had Half-Life 3 Alex, they didn't have anything that was just like, I've got to get VR to play that or to do that. They didn't have anything like that. So exclusivity matters, and it matters a great deal. So I, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm falling down on this side of exclusivity. But I think it's it's incomplete, though, because the, these companies, Activision, pushed out a new version of Call of Duty every year. So here's right? the thing that I, on one of the arguments you said about how Microsoft lost really badly on the past generation. Okay, I, I, I hear you. Here's the thing. PlayStation came out with absolutely superior hardware out of the gate. 
when the, the PS4 was released in 2013. Microsoft shoveled out absolute garbage and then released four systems since then in that fourth generation to try to reclaim a little bit. And they, they incrementally got a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. But even you look at the latest systems that came out and they were reaching on par with the PlayStation 4 after seven years. So right. like yeah. at a certain point, you have to look and go, you pushed a bad product to market, you own that. And your attempts to kind of claw things back weren't really that valid. So at, I guess at what point does a company have to just go, okay, we effed that up and own it instead of then try to blame their competitors for being more successful? Um, that is a good question to which I don't have a good answer. And I don't know that a good answer would be that applicable to this particular situation we're talking about. Microsoft doesn't really admit mistakes. Sorry, I'm f there were five Even Xbox versions that came out. Five? five. Wow, it was five? the Xbox really? One, the I? Xbox One S, the Xbox One X, the Xbox Series S, and then the Xbox Series X. Well, I thought those last two were the next generation. Like the PS, PS5 equivalent. Okay. So those the PS4 came out in 2013. Okay. Right, yep. Um, if, if we go by that date, the... Whoop, that's the wrong thing. Um... The Xbox One came out at 2013, end of 2013. So they right. came out about the same time. And then since then, you've, you've had, you know, going on. The, X, the PlayStation 5 just came out last year. So all of these were still no, going up. It was, it was fall 2020, I think. It's been out a year and a half. I think it has. Because they wanted to get sales in for the Christmas holiday. Um, I'm pretty sure it was. Let me look here. I got November 2020. There you go. See, okay, now, that's really too uncomfortably close to Christmas there, but they still captured some Christmas sales. So Microsoft was unable to get their new version out, I think, and so they missed Christmas. Or I believe. Let's see, successor. Where is? What was your release date? So the X came out in 2022, as I believe. Uh, Xbox Series X. No, I'm wrong. Uh, November 10th, 2020. So it's been out for at this point, uh, November, January, February, 16 months. Okay. So those those came out the Boy, same time. Boy, that thing is ugly. Look at that thing. I'm I'm sorry. I look at a picture of the Xbox Series X. It's like this big tower looking thing, and it's yeah. Ugh. And the, the uh -huh. S the S no. wasn't attractive either. None of the Xboxes have really had any decent design, except maybe the first. That's one. True. The first one was interesting. Yeah, it was cool. And the controller was really great for the for the first one. I mean, there's a reason why almost all modern controllers are shaped very much like what Xbox controls are, because they found they evolved towards almost an ideal for most hands. I'm really impressed by their controllers. I mean, I, I don't like their consoles, even though I have one. I just think um, they get some things really, really right and some things horribly wrong. Like, my Xbox is very noisy. I even took it apart and tried to clear out any dust or anything and put it back together, and it didn't help. It's just noisy. There's nothing about it. So, and I understand these are also running big GPUs in there, so there's going to be some noise. But not this loud, rattling kind of thing. You can hear it in the background, especially when you step outside in a game, and all of a sudden you hear the fan roar into life again because it's rendering a whole lot of landscape. It's, it just kind of ruins the experience a little bit. And I don't know that... 
I don't know if PlayStation does that or not. I get the sense that their their exterior design is far superior. I don't know that their interface was superior. Yeah, it, but, I mean, uh, it wasn't bad at first because there, there pretty much wasn't one. Um, right. Okay. Yeah. The, I think the PlayStation Two was the first one with an interface, and it was simple. It didn't need to be complex. I think the problem with the PlayStation interface is they've tried to do so much more with it that it they've just made it complex. Well, they also took some gambles. Like PlayStation was the only console of that era that was built on CDs, and they were actually real CDs. Uh, they were they were operated in reverse, I believe. Maybe that was the Nintendo. No, I think it was like Sony CDs spun backwards. No, they, they spun normals because you can CDs. play them in a computer with an emulator, and it doesn't have to spin okay. the motor so backwards. That, the I must be thinking of the game. The uh, the copyright protection that uh, Sony had was unique because it was on outside areas of the disc. Oh, which that's what, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Kind of crafty, honestly. Yeah. I mean, you control the firmware of your device, so the only one that can read your stuff is someone with a hacked, hacked to CD-ROM drive that'll read the extra, extra tracks or something. I don't know. That's, that was kind of clever. But uh, I, I think since the beginning, Sony's been making gambles on things, and Microsoft has been making safer plays. Like, the cell processor was pretty amazing. It really was. It didn't work so well. Uh, on paper, cell processor was was... Fantastic for numerous things. There's a reason why there was lots of pop-up clusters of, you know, 400 PlayStation 3s or yeah. whatever. It was just, it was a fantastic processor, but I think the game developers really hated writing for it because it required, gosh, uh, multi-threading requires a lot more, a lot more coordination, right? And not everybody can do it. It's, um, it's just a lot of race conditions and things that can pop up if you're not really hygienic about how you write your code. So it's not nearly as straightforward as just write code that does a main loop and do this. And I think that a lot of companies didn't care for it. So that I don't, even despite that, PlayStation 3 still sold more than Xbox, I believe. Which is quite impressive, actually. So I've never had an and Xbox. I, look at I, I had got an original PlayStation uh, for my birthday one year. Uh, that was back... A virtual PlayStation? No, the, the, the first one, sorry. The original oh, okay. PlayStation. Um, when oh, it first okay, came out back sense. in the 90s. And then I got a PlayStation 2 hand-me-down from my brother. And then I never got another game console until like a year or so ago. I picked up a PlayStation 3 so I could put Linux on it. They still allow that? If you have it updated the I firmware... Yeah, I thought they killed that ability, which I was very, very yeah, upset Yeah, you have to not update your system. And unfortunately, there aren't many of... Well, I mean, there's probably still a lot out there, but a lot of people just said, it's, oh yeah, I'm new firmware, let me update. So they, they updated themselves out, and you can't can't go back. I just, so that's just real when shitty. That, I, I, don't, I never understood why they did that. Do you know why they did that? Uh, they claimed it was a security issue. Bullshit. And there there might have been... There may be something that you can do if you boot into another OS that you can then do and inject into their system. But I mean, it's a game console, so I don't, re but then again, it's, I mean, you could put that on your network. So, I mean, maybe there actually was a valid reason for it. I don't know. Maybe. But once I, once I heard that they were starting to lock, they had locked it off and I had noticed that they were getting harder and harder to find. I was like, I better get one now so I can make sure that I have one for later down the road when I want to do this. Good call. And then when the, uh, when the five came out, I picked up, a PS4 with an old enough firmware that you could also install Linux on it because I knew the same thing was probably going to happen again. So it's like, let me 
let me go ahead and get one and just sit it in a box so I know I have it for when I need it. That's a good idea. Although that means you've got to store it for a while. Well, but, uh, yeah, I have plenty of boxes. You have a museum. Yeah. I get it. And I still need to install Linux on the PS2. Hmm. I have it. I have the actual install disks. But I just haven't actually gone I around. I still have mine somewhere. Hmm. I might still have my PlayStation 2 because I, I loved it to death. I played the heck out of it. Well, it was, it was, it was actually it was, made by PlayStation. Like, you bought Linux from PlayStation to install it. Oh. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Like, you bought a disc. Yeah, you bought an actual disc from Sony that was Linux to install it. I could just, I could imagine someone buying it and putting it in. It came in. in the, you know, the same game, you know, packaging. I'll have to take a picture of it and send it to you. Now, I bet someone's playing, this game really sucks. I have no idea how to move around. The controller doesn't seem to work. What the hell is I this? Don't, I don't remember what they actually sold it for, but... I gotta look it up. I will, uh, I'll have to post a picture of it in the, uh, in the show notes. Yep. Linux for PlayStation 2, initial release 2002. Yeah. And I mean, it ran. It, it didn't right. run great because the hardware was, I think the hardware was only like a 200 megahertz processor. Yeah, it was, I was under spec, yeah. Yeah, then again, at the time, it was okay. Well, at the time, when it released, uh, the common processes were starting to get up to five or 600 mm -hmm. or something, as I recall. So I remember looking at going the specs, and it was not even quite 200 megahertz. It was like 1.199 or something. I'm going, why are they putting an under-spec processor in here? I guess they know what they're doing. Let's see here. Oh, the PS2 Linux distribution is based on Condora MNU, a Japanese distribution itself based on Red Hat Linux. That makes sense. Okay. PS2 Linux is similar to Red Hat Linux 6. So if you get a copy of that, I wonder if you could boot it on not a PlayStation. If I got to get a copy of what? If you get a, got a hold of a PS2 Linux kit or whatever. Uh, well, I mean, I have it, so that's, that's problem solved. Oh, you already have the kit? Yes. Oh, I misunderstood that. That's kind of cool. Have you ever tried to install it on not a PlayStation 2? No, because I haven't gotten around to try to install it on the PlayStation 2. So installing it on something else is something I have not tried to do yet. Well, okay, I'd, I'd be interested to hear when you're going to do uh, that. I'd like to be involved I, in that. I don't That'd know, cool. maybe next time you're out here. Maybe, yeah, well, you know what, maybe that's it. something we could do for self when we do a stream. Yeah. Is install Linux on the PlayStation. Let's see. Yeah, that actually sounds And perfect. we could try to install it on actually. all four of them. Or all three of them. The That'd two, three, cool. and four. But I, I hope, I expect that this yourself is in person. So we would need to lug TVs enough. Well, no, we can just hook up to the projector. Yeah. I don't know. You're talking about having all three and running at the same time. We're going to need three Well, no, I mean, we would do one at a time. Because I know, oh, okay. I know that all your right. install capabilities during self-fest have not been, uh, not been too good. You're 0 for 2 right now. What are well, you talking about? You didn't, get, uh, you didn't get Slackware installed that first year. Yeah, I did. Um, no, you didn't. You had to go to a newer version. You couldn't do the one I gave you. So you failed okay. at that. Um, you did okay. succeed at Linspire, mm -hmm. so congratulations for that, Jeff. You can't see this, but I'm flicking him off. Right uh, now. So the the, fir the first year itself went virtual. You, you had you had a you had a, you took an L, and then last year for Doom you took an L. So yep, I did you're, take uh, for that one. you're 0 for 2, so you need to, you really need to come back. So, hey, actually, if you could get... As I recall, if you could, I got way farther than you did. No, we got to the same spot. You just did more to get to no. the same spot. No, you didn't know why I was doing it, and I did. But, I diagnosed what was happening within 40 minutes. Right, but you didn't get any further. You got to the same spot I did, which was the game would start and then freeze. You knew why it was freezing, 
but you didn't get past it freezing. So, as I recall, it's not really fair to put that L on me because you didn't have adequate hardware. What are you talking about? I didn't have so, adequate hardware. We tried swapping hardware around or something, right, didn't we? Uh, we tried a different. We didn't try all card. my sound cards. Okay, I think by that time we were both kind of worn out and just we were tired of trying everything random. I know we we swapped in and out stuff several times. So I'm going to put that L no, on you because no, you no, didn't have because adequate because that's hardware. on you. You were sitting there. So anyway, hold on. Time out. And you I, could have disabled uh, no. sound completely. No, it, well, I tried. And, and, I did and try And people that. even said that you should be able to patch it out, and you chose not to. So that's an L on you. But here's the thing, Jeff. If you were able to install Linux on all three PlayStations of mine, the 2, 3, and 4, that would be three wins. So then that, yeah, I wouldn't think of it that, way. that would then be three against your two Ls. You would come out on top. Why do I feel like I'm being set up here? Because you're being set up here. <laughs> okay. Just so we're clear. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess I'm being set up. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to talk to Jeremy and, and make this happen. You know he will. You know he will. I'm, I'm looking forward to self in person, and it'll be really funny, and everybody can lose along with yeah. me, right? It'll be a group, it'll be a group fun, bonding experience. Yes, it will. So yes, it you will. wanted to, to jump off on your favorite topic of NFTs. It's not my favorite topic. Don't go there. I've been reading up on it a lot. It's in like lots of partnerships and announcements and prattle about this and discussion about that, all sitting around NFTs. And I've, I've done some looking into it, and I like, I like where it's going. The digital downloads model for, for modern content has never really made much sense to me. I always said it was foolish that people were spending hundreds of dollars for skins and stuff. Like, does the skin help you do any better in the game? No? Okay. But there are, on rare occasions, there are skins that actually do contribute to this or that okay, or well, something. Okay, well, let me ask you this, Jeff. Do you think it's stupid for people to repaint their cars? Nope. The car doesn't perform any better. They spend thousands to do it. Isn't that the same thing? Because it's a real thing that I can touch, as opposed to a virtual thing, which is some bits. But you're. I guess that's that's the distinction I'm making. Okay. But that's where NFTs bridge the gap because now because it's now no they're real just, and you can touch them. They're no longer virtual. They're resellable. They have a a token to represent their realness. The, the that's what token it does for me. isn't real. It's just bits. What are you talking about? All right. So again, I feel like you're trying to lead me down a path and and set me no, up here. No, no. You're the one. You're the one that started this off on it's a physical versus a virtual thing. With the, the paint versus the skin right. in a game. So, it's not really a good analogy, because a car has much utility. And a game console, to me, doesn't have nearly as much utility. Now, some people... Well, okay, let's, let's, let's try to make it simple. Okay. Painting your car versus paying $100 to get a skin on a car in a racing game. Let's, let's do that, so it's a little bit, must be little a bit closer really to good skin. being one for a while. Wow. That, I, I'm trying to conceive of a $100 skin in a game. I bet they have them. Well, I'm... Okay, let's say $10 versus a, a $3,000 car paint okay. job. Right. You know, we can take random figures. You're, you're tr I know you're trying, to, you're trying to even this out. I get it. Okay, so I'm just going to presume it's all evened out. For me, it still feels like the car, the real thing. I can touch, I can maintain it, I can drive it. It has much utility for a long time. Okay, but the paint doesn't change anything other than your personal enjoyment of the car. The car is still going to get from point A to point B, whether it's blue or red. Well, no, that's not always true. It helps the car survive. Paint? So if you, yes. If you, you repaint a car from blue to red, it, it's not going to help the car survive. 
Okay, you have a twenty-year-old car. The red is painting and fleeing. Uh, well, okay, uh, no, 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 no. You're, you're 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 conflating this. You're now changing it. You're moving the goalpost because okay. now you're talking about I have to repaint my car as service. We're not talking about that. We're talking about repainting the car because you want it to be a different color, which right, is so my, the same my... as in a game. You pay for a different skin on your character or your car because you want it to be a different color. Okay, then that I think is a waste. But uh, people do it. Just like I think buying skins in a game is a waste, but people do it. People spend whatever they want on what makes them happy. That's fine. If it mm -hmm. makes you happy to change your Hyundai Sonata from a, a silver to a gold, and no one else on the road has gold, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe you want to stand out. Well, why are you driving a Hyundai if you want to stand out? But <laughs> point aside, right? Maybe go put that $3,000 of the paint job towards a car that stands out, right? By its nature. Angry Hyundai owners are now emailing into the show as we speak. Well, that's fine. We'll have a discussion about it, right? Okay, so, but to stand out, I don't see much of the value in that. Like, I don't, I don't, the stickers we get from conventions, I'm like, thanks for the sticker, and I never do anything with it. I have put one of those stickers on one device I own the last 10, 15 years ago in conferences, and that's the one that's on the back of this laptop right now, and it says, there is no cloud just other people's computers. And I've liked that for a long time, and I thought, okay, that's, that sticker is good enough for me to stick it up there. So, I don't know what to do with stickers. I don't really accessorize. That's just that's not what I do. And I don't, don't, don't mishear me, listeners and JT. If you do, great. If it makes you happy, even better. Um, it doesn't make me happy. It doesn't really evoke any feelings in me at all. So I don't. But a lot of people, it does. So, I'm more interested in the utility of the vehicle. I'm more interested in the utility of taking it back into the gaming realm. The game, right? Is the game fun or not? Is it full of people that make my life miserable that uh, I never want to play it again? Okay, that's not a good experience. Well, most of these skins and hats and things are all about multiplayer experience, right? Yeah, because they're trying to distinguish themselves amongst their group of friends that all enjoy the same thing. So, for instance, bringing it back to cars, you know, I was have been in car clubs before, and you have people that have the same car as you, but yet it's about how you make your car fit your personality and how they make their car fit their personality. At the end of the day, yeah. it's the same car, but they, you know, there's that individual customization. Yeah. So actually, I, I the, agree with you there. The reason I bring it up is because for me, you know, if you're spending your money on it and it makes you happy, okay, go for it. It's kind of the same thing. Now, I think it's it's easy for people to go, oh, well, that's silly when it's not something you enjoy. But if you try to be objective and put yourself into the spot of someone who does enjoy that, I think then somebody spending $10, $15 or whatever to custom skin their character and their whatever in a game, okay, it makes them happy. It, you know, fine. Okay, yeah, I'm agree with that. So I agree with you also. You're talking about the car clubs. Reminded me, I do... I do see the value mm -hmm. in such things. If you're, if you have a nice car that you're going and taking to a show, I've, I've been to car shows a bunch, and more recently I've been to one here in North North Dallas, and there's a Dallas Porsche Club or something, mm -hmm. Porsche Club of Dallas, I think, and they've come out in mass to the show before, and there's just like rows of Porsches, and you got, you know, a lot of them are in the classic colors, and then all of a sudden there's this one that stands out because it had customizations done to it. And in that situation, I'm like, oh, that looks really nice. And then, then I value the customizations. I value the money spent on that because you got row after row of everybody looking the same, and then that one stands out. 
So I see that. I see the value in that. The funny thing is with a lot of like Porsche clubs, for instance, that guy will actually get crap for that because the car is no longer authentic. Right. Because the authenticity of the car is what gives it its value. The fact that it is all original and nothing has been changed. And like, there's a funny thing with Ferrari because, you know, Ferrari collection is a big thing and there are Ferrari collectors is if, if you can prove that the Ferrari you have doesn't have replacement parts on it, it's worth more. Right. And Ferrari actually has a service where you take your car into a dealership, Ferrari dealership. They then inspect it, get all the VIN numbers, serial numbers of all the parts. They then send that to Italy and you pay some dude to like pull out the binders of what parts went on the cars Wow. To make sure that, yeah, this car is actually authentic. And these were the proper serial numbers for the alternator and for the engine and for all this stuff. And then they send you a certificate saying that, yes, your Ferrari is certified classic. Wow. Um, okay. And that increases the value if you want to resell it. Now, the funny thing is, is people have figured out how to kind of hack this. Because once you get the certificate, you have the certificate for your car, even if you then change stuff later. And Ferrari will allow you to do this on a car you just bought. Uh, okay. So you can buy a brand new Ferrari for, say, $200,000, or that's probably cheap for a Ferrari, so let's say $500,000. Yeah. And then a year later, bring it back to the dealership and be like, I'd like to get the certificate that this is authentic. And they'll do the stuff. You then They send it to Italy. You pay the guy however much. It's like $10,000, I think. And then you get the certificate on your one-year-old car that says, yes, all the parts on this car are original. And okay. now you have that forever so 30 years from now when you have changed stuff out you still have the certificate from ferrari that okay. said it's certified that's a buyer beware thing as a buyer of a ferrari that knows this is a thing or should know this is a thing right I, i'm not going to buy a ferrari so I, I don't know about that uh, this is news to me yeah as a buyer of a ferrari if you don't want to be taken advantage of you should evaluate this certificate was created nine years ago and then you ask the seller what has been done to the vehicle in the last nine years? And you have to decide if that person is telling the truth or not. That's Kevin Imtor. As a buyer, I have to know this. Well, I think that's the thing is if you're in the Ferrari collection circles, you do know this. If you're not, like this is bait for all the people who want to yeah. buy a Ferrari that don't know it. And they're like, oh, yep. oh, this has got a certificate that says all the parts are authentic. This is, oh yeah, okay, yeah. They get all yep. happy not knowing, it, yeah, because this guy got it the year after he bought it, the certificate's meaningless. He stripped it out and put a lawnmower engine in there and a whole bunch of other parts and then sold the ones for much more money. And then he sold the car. I could see a tidy profit doing that. It's an awful lot of work, though. But I see, okay, so popping the stack back up at times, right? Yeah. So I, I see the value of the customization. I don't choose to partake in it. The color of my vehicle, I like this. It's this pretty red. And I believe it cost a little bit extra to get the red, but it wasn't really my decision. It was my wife's decision. So when we walked up on it, and I could see her eyes kind of being bigger. She's like, it's crimson. I was like, oh, crap. We're going home with this one, aren't we? That's, that's literally kind of what happened. I didn't say that to anybody else. I'm thinking to myself, this is the one. Because <laughs> the color. So it meant a lot to her. And I was like, that's pretty. I could drive around in that. So we got it. And that's about the extent of my, how does it look? Mm -hmm. Frankly. That's just, that's just me. That's, that's how I roll. I'm more interested in the performance, the longevity. I don't even really think about resale value, frankly, because when I buy a thing, I keep it for almost ever, right? I drove my last truck 14 years, and I had another four or five good years of life in it, and just, it was an opportunity to get the new one, so we did. I'm not thinking about resale. I'm not thinking about how it looks. I'm thinking about, how is this going to feel in winter when 
I have to go outside and start this car. Is it going to work well? Great. Okay, I'm interested. Is it going to be comfortable if I'm driving through the swamps of Louisiana and there's just mugginess everywhere and you can't get away from it? Is it going to, you know, is the AC going to work? That kind of stuff. I seem to be inordinately focused on the climate here. Yeah, I'm noticing that. <laughs> well, this is under the assumption that the engine is solid and drivetrain is solid. I'm not interested in something that does not have a solid engine and drivetrain. That kind of thing. You know, but you get what I'm saying. My focus is inordinately on the mechanical side. Likewise, on, on a video game, and I don't really play much in the way of multiplayer games at all because I kind of can't stand people that play multiplayer games. Almost universally, there's just lots of, I don't know, idiots and assholes and trolling, and it's just not very fun, right? So I prefer the, the few games I play. It's one of the, you know, play it by yourself offline. And there's those few random games where they actually have an online component, but it's not mandatory, and so you can kind of choose in or not. And I think I like those, but it's it's all about what's the game itself providing, not how do I make my character look cool. So, but going back to the original statements, I see how you buy a skin, you buy a hat, you buy a weapon decal or something, and now you have this thing. But it's really just a mark in a database somewhere, and you can't ever do anything with it. And if the company you bought it from decides, oh, we don't do those skins anymore, then money's gone. You have no value, right? It's just you gave them money, they gave you a checkbox in a database, right? So when you instead attach it, this, this NFT is unique, uniquely minted, and it's minted and is, is it owned by you, your wallet address, and it represents the rights to that skin in this game. It's like the database checkmark, but it's outside of the database. And you can resell it to somebody else. Right, but you could resell it with the database as well, if you wanted to. If like, the company allowed it. Right, well, that's the thing. I mean, people were doing this with WoW back in the day, all the time. You'd get some special thing, and then people were in, like, Asia were playing the game to then get these things to then sell to make money. So, like... Right. Companies allowing this has been going on for a while. It's just not all companies do. But I look at it that if a company is going to do this whole NFT thing and allow you to do it, well, then why wouldn't they also allow you to just sell it when it's a, a check in their database? Like, Okay, so I want to make a distinction here. Okay. Skins and stuff, those are not really commodities. Well, items that you acquire in the game, like you're talking about the people that are farming those items, it happened in Diablo, it happened in World of Warcraft, it happens everywhere. There's a healthy market for buying and selling goods. Right. Using real I money. Get, why, why aren't skins the same way? Like, I don't see why that couldn't just be another thing that they th is in the database. Like, yes, if you grind, you can get this special sword. Or you can also pay for this special hat for your warlock or, or whatever to have. Like, it could all sit in the same database. It's I, not economical to the company to do so. Right? You give them money, there's no way to get that thing converted back into money again. It's one way. Well, money again, only if, ever enters the system. But that's because they've chosen that. And but people if, still buy skins, even though the companies have chosen not to let you trade them. Right, but if a company is choosing to go the NFT route and allow people to resell, then they're choosing that people can resell. So why wouldn't they allow people to resell if it was in their database? It seems like there's two issues here. Okay. Where one is, does the company feel that you know, purchasing, you can resell what you buy from them. The NFTs versus database is a method of doing that. I but agree. first, the company has to decide whether they want to or not. And I think that's kind of the issue, that now companies are like, oh, yeah, 
yeah, we should do this. But that's not really an NFT thing. That's just them realizing, hey, if we allow people to resell, people might spend more money. Right. Okay. So I think that one of the distinctions is you can't really can, you can't really make the equivalence between the database check and the NFT. NFT is independent of the game. Right? Well, no, it's not because it has to be specifically made for that game and it does nothing outside of that game. It's not like your NFT skin can be used on any game on any character. It's specific for this game by this producer for this character. You're right. Okay. And when, and when the company shuts down that game, your NFT has no value. Mm -hmm. I agree. Your NFT has no value, just like the check mark in the database has no value. But it's not the it's not the same, right? Because now we're talking about there is an independent vehicle to have the check mark, as opposed to something custom done by the, com the company, right? And one of the reasons I think they don't do this is it could ex extra development effort, and they don't get any value from it. I allow my players to resell the things that they've bought from me. I now have a whole new host of problems. You know, you get all the fraud and the theft and, and the taking advantage of people and all the kind of crap that goes on when you have multiple people all working to try and get rare things, I guess is a good way to put it. All, yeah, I don't know how or why. I guess because they're not they're as invested in their own gaming infrastructure anymore. They've been, I mean, Half-Life 3 Alex came out a couple years ago. But up until then, well, they did Left 4 Dead, they did Team Fortress 2 a long time ago. They haven't been making their own games. They've been counting their money in the Steam Empire. Is it just, I don't want to say trickles in, that's not there. It's like rivers of money flowing into, you know, flowing into Valve. I'm like, what are we going to do with this? Well, I guess I could have another, I could get a 14th gold-plated toilet, I guess. I mean, we've got to put it somewhere. And I'm trivializing it here. But they, they did a lot of that. They built the marketplace and said, we're going to do these trading cards or whatever. You guys can choose to use it or not. If the players choose to trade, then we get a little bit of the action of the trade. I think a lot of those. Anything where there's money exchanged, then Steam gets a little bit of, mm -hmm. a little bit of piece of the action, right? That makes sense. But no one told companies you have to do this, but a lot of companies found it advantageous to do so. Likewise, no one tells Activision that you must make your skins tradable. But there's good reasons to do so. And if you can move the responsibility of maintaining that marketplace out of your sphere, that's a lot better. Someone else is taking on the risks and the fraud and the handling of all the crap that goes on. You're just making skins and minting them and selling them. Okay. And whoever buys them is great. But does that not put your company at risk of being dependent on the actions of a third party you can't control? Because that third party can go, you know what? Let's let's say we have a company called uh, Bob's Gaming. We'll just make up a, a company name. Bob's Gaming has created NFTs that they sell so people can have all their stuff. And Bob's Gaming thinks it's great. And they're using it on the, I don't know, some network. And okay. that network, the developers are like, you know what? We don't like this. Uh, we're, we're, the next updates are disabling all NFTs. Now Bob, has company, has taken all this money for all these NFTs to use. And now nobody can use them because the people that maintain the network have just decided, no, we don't like that. It's going away. That, Th that, that seems like a bad idea for a company to put f something that another person is paying them for to put the existence of that thing in the hands of someone else. Okay. I guess it boils down to it's a commoditizing 
an item that was not a commodity before. And I'm, I'm, I'm on board with you there. But why does uh, Procter & Gamble not sell stuff directly to end users? Why instead are they selling through grocery stores and Amazon? Because it's cheaper for them to deal directly with because of volume. They don't have to deal with end users. They just deal with manufacturing and distribution and wholesalers, right? It's much simpler for them. They don't want to deal with any of that. Companies don't have to. They don't have to deal with the end user with this. But you're talking about a gaming company selling stuff directly to end users. So they are dealing with end users. Through a marketplace that's maintained. I've been hearing GameStop is making an NFT marketplace, and there's some other people making marketplaces, right? So you're using, it's just like a supermarket, right? You give commodities to the supermarket to sell. If you want a rare skin, then say, uh, I'm only going to mint 400 tokens of this rare skin, right? And then the marketplace can do bidding or whatever, right? Then you don't have to manage any of that. It's just, do you have an NFT that represents this thing? Great, okay. And I think it moves some of the risk. It's stuff they don't have to build, effectively. I think, I think it's very similar to why Procter & Gamble or any of the big, you know, there's like five, five companies that produce almost all the consumer products in America now. Why aren't they selling directly to the end user? They're selling through everybody else okay. for ease. I, I think the difference here, and it's, it's kind of ironic considering where this conversation started, is you're using examples of real-world objects versus virtual objects. When Bob's Gaming Company sells an NFT, there is no physical object. It is a token that sits on a blockchain as an item. If whatever blockchain has an update, all those tokens can go away. Because there's nothing that says once a blockchain has NFTs, it has to maintain NFTs. So you're talking about, to use your analogy, Procter & Gamble selling to a grocery store so that when customers buy shampoo, the grocery store can snap their fingers and everyone's shampoo in everyone's houses disappears and is no longer there. That's an entirely different scenario. So that doesn't, I, I think I see where you're getting at, but it doesn't feel right to me. It feels like there's something missing or it's a left turn in the thinking somewhere. So let me see if I can capture this. You're making, uh, the comp- Bob's Gaming is mm-hmm. making something virtual. That's sitting on a different blockchain. Now, it's not... It's independent of them. Right, right? it's independent of them. They could run their own blockchain, so to speak, behind the scenes that uses a consensus mechanism like proof of stake or whatever, and everybody that buys the game gets one, one coin. It has no actual value because it's not being sold around. But as the mechanism for then anytime someone does anything with an NFT... That then is the transaction within updates the blockchain so, so that they control their own blockchain, as it were, that holds their assets for their game. But that, I think, is the more secure way to do it. But now they're taking the responsibility of actually running it and maintaining it. Whereas currently, it seems that games are just kind of throwing stuff onto another chain because, oh, well, we don't have to worry about this. This is somebody else's problem. And that seems like a bad idea to me. Well, okay, and there's some part of this discussion that we didn't go into that I think I, I feel like we need to. A lot of these non-mandatory additions to the game, I'll put it that way, skins, hats, weapon changes, right, something. Your, your weapon is gold or whatever, right? Because no one else has a gold weapon. Look at how special you are. A lot of those are incentives that are solely designed to drive you to do more time, spend more time in the game. 
spend more with the company, right? So that's they don't exist so much because people are clamoring for them. They exist because studios are trying to make more money, and this is one of their biggest revenue streams. Right. Right? Microtransactions. That's the word that people have hated on for a long time. I'm sure that people at the game studios don't hate that term. <laughs> it's, um... If you take away that, then there's not really much incentive to buy skins. If, 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 I don't know. No, I, I can't, I can't really say that because there's still people that want to stand out, right? There's always going to be somebody that wants to stand out. And there's people that want to customize their characters so that they can associate with it more and, and all that. But to argue against what I just said a few seconds ago, um, when I said that, you know, they could run their own blockchain. The overhead of that is retarded. If they're going to run their own blockchain, they could run their own database internally and keep track of everything because they're now running everything and they're now managing the individual transfer back and forth between people and the sale. Right. So, it, like, I understand why they want to cash in on this and NFTs are just, oh, yeah, we can make money off of this because everybody wants to make money off of NFTs right now. So one thing we didn't clarify is NFTs are not just crappy looking JPEGs, by the way. NFTs are just representative of something, yes. right? You, Anything. It's a non-fungible token, and that token can represent whatever. There are people that have done uh, stuff with NFTs for, they have recommended doing it for like expensive art. So there's actually a public ledger that shows who owned that expensive piece of art. Right. There's a down on fraud, for sure. There's a diamond registry that's doing tokenization on Ravencoin. That's brilliant. There's a couple yeah. of real estate firms that are doing tokenization of real estate on on Ravencoin as well. Those are the two that I've kind of been reading up on recently. But when it comes to a game, since that's where we've kind of been focusing this topic, it it doesn't seem like NFTs are necessary because games have been, game studios have been doing this for a very, very long time. Bethesda has had their you can buy these things and you can buy these extra skins in game that your character can have while you play the game alone. Like you're not even playing with friends. You're paying money to have a skin so you can enjoy your character in your solo game having that skin. It wouldn't yeah, be that's hard. Makes you happy. Yeah, it wouldn't be hard for Bethesda to just go, well, yeah, we should allow people to resell that and then we take 10% of the cut. I don't see why it needs blockchain dumped onto the, the concept in order for it to work. It just, for me, it seems like that's the only reason they're thinking about it is because, oh, NFTs, people like to spend a lot of money on NFTs. And there's the speculation side of NFTs of, well, people are going to buy these assets because they might be worth more in the future so we can sell them for more. I just, I can't get on board with that, with what you're saying there. And I think it's, it's okay. So this takes it into a different realm and this might not be a good enough analog, but I'm going to try it anyway. Why is open source so important? Why is it so important that we have software that is open when there's all these closed source solutions, right? You're talking about a company has a database check, uh, a check mark for this item. That's a closed source solution. Now we're talking about taking all those things and moving them into open source arena. Now everybody can see what, well, you don't know whose wallet belongs to what, but everybody can see all these tokens that have been minted and who, what wallet address they belong to, and it's out in the open, and you're using a quote-unquote proven technology, and you don't have to worry about that anymore. There are certain advantages to doing this, right? So no longer do you have to build your own marketplace. You're just leasing it from somebody else, leasing the rights from somebody else. That's a huge savings as far as developers go. I don't think it's right? fair to relate open source software development with NFT marketplaces. That seems okay. like a massive stretch. 
I don't think so. I'm, I'm, open, I'm trying to focus on... Here's open source software that I have written that you can take and do whatever you want with it to solve your problems. Versus, I want to sell something on a marketplace. How are those two things even in the same ballpark? I'm focusing on this database checkmark. Okay. Right? Each company, Activision, puts out the next version of Call of Duty or whatever. Yeah. And they have skins. Mm -hmm. so they have a database set up for their Call of Duty 2023, whatever. Okay. Right? So they spill, they invest the effort to, to be tracking check marks and who's paid what and who's got this. And, and they're doing all this effort. Mm -hmm. right? Now, I'm sure that they've been doing this for year after year so they can reuse their effort. Right? They probably have unified systems even. Okay. Using the NFT marketplace, they don't have to do any of that. So this is maybe a bad example picking Activision because the sunk cost, they've already paid it. Right? They've already got all this work. If you're a new game studio coming up and you want to be able to sell skins, wouldn't it make sense to not have to worry about the marketplace at all and just pay someone else to maintain the marketplace for you and you get your cut whenever items are sold that are related to you, right? Wouldn't that save you a lot of time? And it's completely open source. Oh, the equivalent of open source is that it's open. Anybody can look at it. Well, except the, market, the marketplaces aren't open. The marketplaces are all closed source systems. The blockchain the is blockchain open. Is it's an open database, but there's nothing that says that Activision, since we you brought that up, that Activision couldn't have a website that does freaking SQL queries that you could then look in to see who owns what or how many copies of this skin exist. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it, you don't need blockchain NFTs to do I that. Think. I'm not. I don't want it to sound like I'm. I'm saying that NFTs and blockchain are horrible. I because I don't think that. I think there's great opportunity for advancement and and good things that can be done with it. This the whole NFT thing right now, especially around art and the, the game assets aspect. To me, feels really really close to the dot com era, where it was literally we don't care what kind of dumb idea it is. This is the new thing. We've got to get in on it because this is the new thing and we're going to make a ton of money. And yeah, a lot of things made a ton of money, but a lot more just completely fell flat, fell flat because they weren't well thought out. It was just, let's get something out there right now to take advantage of this money. Web. We got to do web things, right? Yeah. And there was this gold rush on domain. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. We don't even know what we're going to do with cars.com, but we're going to buy it now. We're going to try and make something out of it. Right, because it's valuable. That's speculative. Uh, and, yeah. and you right. have the same thing going on with the whole Web 3.0 craze, where it's we like... We watched it happen with blockchain, yeah. Yeah, we, we we just have to get in on this right now. We have to be able to have our uh, uh, unique customer identity on the blockchain so that they can interface it with their MetaMask so they can track this. And it's like, okay, there are a whole range of things that come into, let's open all the things up, which we don't even know if it's a good idea to begin with. Because there's a lot of things that once we think about it, we go, you know what, actually, that, that, that private information is kind of important. That at one point, we thought, ah, it doesn't matter. And companies are racing right now to tokenize and put things out there because, oh, Web 3.0, it's, it's the new hotness, without thinking, A, is it a good idea? B, is this going to bite you in the back? And C, do your customers even care about it being Web 3.0? Like, the gamers that are buying stuff, Outside of speculation of, I want to resell the skin for $1,000 in two years, do, do they care if they spend $10 on the skin at a Activision store or if they spend, two, you know, and that's backed by blockchain or if it's backed by an internal database? Like, they're spending $10 to get the skin, and if they can resell it later, does the, does the individual gamer 
care what technology is running underneath. I think so. You and I might because we're technologists. Does the individual gamer care? Because if the individual gamer cares about the openness of the technology they're running on, why are they running Windows? Why are they running closed source games? True. Yeah. I think you're onto something there. And I agree that most people don't care. But I also believe you can charge more. Activision can charge more for an item which has a built-in ready marketplace that's trustworthy, right? I don't think I would trust Activision to well, you act, throw me a you, rope if I'm falling, right? You, you not, trust them to run whatever code they want on your system without knowing what it is, so... Okay, I guess that's true. Like, they could be doing anything while your game is running. Mm-hmm. Like, and I know that there have been games discovered that we're doing things. Yeah. Like, we're, you're inside, you're not using your GPU, let's just mine a little bit in the background while you're not doing anything with it. I, I, I've, I've read of that. That's not the kind of thing you're going to find in a AAA title, yeah. I would expect. There are some really boneheaded things in AAA titles, like uh, Grand Theft Auto Online. As it aged, for, it took forever to load, you know? And it was just because they hadn't bothered to ever look at how, how many things they were loading at the beginning. Here's the thing, Jeff. Companies have already gone down uh, this road that I'm going to describe, and I guarantee this is going to hit game studios. And that is, when you install Norton now, when you pay for the professional version... You can choose to mine crypto for Norton, and then they'll give you a cut of it. Now, A... A small the, cut, the, probably. Yeah, the miner is, is crap. It's not optimized. But you're choosing this to mine crypto for Norton, and yay, you're getting, you're getting a cut. But it's like, it, you know what's going to happen eventually, where some game studios going to be like, you know what, let's go ahead and throw that in as an option. And if you select this option, we'll give you a free NFT. So probably. your game is mining crypto for Activision, all the time or you know when you're playing the game for four hours at night or whatever so that you could have this little tiny skin in the game like you know this is going to happen almost certainly it is yeah entertainment is about parting people that want a fantasy or want an escape of some kind from their money in any way possible if we really pare down entertainment for sale that's what it's about someone wants some relief from their discomfortable life uncomfortable life Right, or whatever. Even if it's for a brief moment or if it's, uh, you know, 40 hours of gameplay or whatever. And here is a provider of entertainment that wants to take your money to do so. That's all it is. So whatever they can dangle in front of you to make you give them more money or value or equivalent or something, like GPU time, right? Whatever I can give to the end user, especially if it's a check mark in a database, right? It costs me nothing to give them a skin. It's all virtual. It doesn't exist, right? As I we started this conversation talking about it. A check mark in a database, okay, it's just a bit flip, right? True or false? Or maybe it's more complicated field than it, it's trivial, like it costs nothing. So for the cost of nothing, they will give you more money. Who's not gonna want to do that? Right? And there's some ethics wrapped up in the microtransactions thing, and some game studios have deliberately stayed away from it and yada yada yada, whatever. I get that. It's who's not gonna take advantage of you're going to give me money for something that doesn't exist. And you'll do it willingly, whether or not you can sell it again later or not. So, to add another complicated layer, where does do loot boxes come into this? Oh, no. So that actually starts straying into, you can find items or skills or something in there that actually does have a material improvement on your gameplay. Right? And that's starting to trend way towards Way more towards commodities kind of thing. Actually, I bet there was some legislation passed about loot boxes, right? Well, yeah, because there's also the lottery aspect of you're paying for a box that 
You don't really know what you're going to get. You might get something good. You might get something okay. You don't, you don't really know, but you're paying real hard money for what is effectively nothing more than a checkbox in a database. And it's a random, we say random, chance of everything. You are having, just like every time you go to a casino, you are going there with the understanding and the faith that the machines are honest, which is never true. The machines said casinos are never going to be fully honest, right? They're always tilted well, so that the casino wins. They're, they're, well, there's difference between honest and tilted. Okay. They can always be tilted towards the casino, but that still can be honest. Right. Like, I think it's what, blackjack? The, the house will always win 51% of the yes, time. It's, yeah. But, it, you know, if you, if you can ride that 49%, right, if you're a good player and luck is on your side, you can still come away winning. That's, that's being honest. Okay. That's being fair. non-honest would be, yeah, we say that the odds of you winning are 30%, and really they're 1%. Right. I think that's, that's what happens in loot boxes. Frankly, or, mm -hmm. or item drops. Yeah, well, except I think I think with casinos though, there's actually government agencies that actually go in and check the mechanics of games that and stuff, so. like the slot machines, to make sure that they're not doing something shady. Whereas it's compiled code. Yeah, good luck. Yeah. No, I, I get it. So you, as a company who's selling loot boxes, right? You have to be believable enough that people will buy your loot boxes because they actually legitimately get good stuff out of them, and they believe there's an opportunity for it. And almost always, the loot boxes start with, they give you a couple loot boxes for free, right? And then you reach this part of the game, you're 30% of the way through, and one of your rewards is three loot boxes, one of them was a gold loot box, right? And it's a much, much better loot box. And all of this is just manipulating human psychology to make you want to stay longer and play more. It's, it's totally about the dopamine hit and getting the player to continue to play, whether they actually want to or not, right? Which is why loot box stuff starts straying into addiction. I think that's why there was some legislation either threatened or actually passed about regulating loot boxes. Because there's like a gambling aspect to it. I think there was also the aspect of uh, pay to win. Right. With loot boxes. So somebody who wasn't committed could then just pay a ridiculous amount of money. Well, I mean, pay to win, that's mobile gaming. Yeah, pretty in much. In a nutshell. Yeah. But there, it's not about winning, it's about the money. No one cares if you win online. I guess you care. If you're, if well, you're yeah. the, the individual cares, right, if you're on top of the, uh, the 18 years, five months and three days old genre, you are number one in Wordle for that particular sub classification or something. It's really important to you. I, I don't know. I'm just pulling something out of a hat, but I don't really consider mobile games in the same vein as console games or computer games, frankly. Mobile games, I think of them more as dalliances and they're even more tilted towards parting you from your money. The dopamine hit is easier, and it's, I think it's because of the marketplace that's built in. Okay, here's an external marketplace. I'm playing on my phone. Something pops up and says, oh, special offer. If you buy this diamond, this sp special pink diamond, it's $329, right? We'll give you 99 extra plays on this game, right? And it's very easy to just hit the button, right? And just keep feeding that dopamine. It's more direct. I don't think that works nearly as well in the online multiplayer arena. And maybe I'm just naive about that because I don't do online multiplayer. But I, I don't see it being the same. I think of mobile gaming as much more manipulative, much more about the psychology than the dopamine. So with a lot of games and studios having their own launchers now, which you integrate your user account and it tracks your actual individual items, I don't think it's that much that much of a challenge. Because a lot of those, like you inside that you know launcher thing where you can get you can pay for extra items there. 
So it's literally just tying in an API call from the game to the, the runner or the launcher to then process the transaction. Like that's, that's what would be required. I get what you're saying there. To make that happen. We're running kind of long and I think there's more to explore here, but there's one point I really did want to make before we close down and I didn't get to make it earlier. We got distracted talking about skins and items and add-ons. One of the things about NFTs that I think will be very helpful is ownership over the game itself. Right? There's a lot of people that want digital distribution. I mean, the Xbox One S has no, uh, I, think, I don't think it has a disc. Everything is download only. Or maybe it's the Series S. I can't remember. People want a download only experience. Bandwidth is cheap. A lot of people have great broadband and, and it's fine for them to download a 90 mega or 90 megs. Jeez, what decade is this? 90 gigabyte game. They don't mind because, you know, they come back 40 minutes later and it's downloaded, right? So they don't need or want the disc. They just want digital distribution. But when you go to Microsoft or you go to Sony and you say, I want this game and you buy it from their marketplace, again, it's just a check mark. But it's one way. You can't transfer that license to anybody else. Whereas if you're minting this token that represents this game, the rights to this game, you can resell that. Now you have solved the problem. And I think this is why GameStop has been heading in this direction, because their whole, their whole shtick is reselling games. How can you resell something that's a digital download? Well, you really can't. Unless you have some way to demarcate externally that you have the rights to do this thing. And that's where the tokens come in. But again, a game studio has to allow that. And if they choose to allow it, it doesn't have to be an NFT. That's true, yeah. I think having an external marketplace that's operated by, gosh, by somebody who's been doing this a long time, GameStop, there's certain advantages to that. Now, one thing about GameStop's classic model of physical trading physical games, developers did not capture any of the additional revenue. It's right of, right of sale. They don't get anything from that. Even if they slip it into a license, it's not enforceable. So, in this respect, they can still capture some of that resale. I don't think game studios are going to go for that, and here's why. This would be actually remarkably simple for Steam to pull off. Because Steam is an external source, they're tracking who owns what, you know, and they already have the mechanism to buy and sell stuff between, you know, individuals. Right. So they could very well go, okay, we're going to allow you to resell your games. But now... Let's say Activision has a version of uh, StarCraft, okay, that, that you bought. You have it in, 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 uh, in Steam. You play it. I want to buy it. Now, you're like, you know what? I'm done with it. I want to get rid of it. So you list it on the Steam marketplace for 50% its value. I buy it from you at 50% its value. Now, yeah, Activision might get 10% of that cut, but now they've lost out on 100% of the sale to me or 90% of the sale minus the 10% Steam cut. I think that's going to be the sticker because game studios are going to look at it kind of the way they've always looked at it, except now it's even easier. Like before, you had to go buy the media. You had to go into a store, buy... Like you had to be committed to want to get that game for less than retail. And a lot of the times, people were buying the games after the studios were done with them. But Steam has now changed that and studios have realized our entire back catalog is a gold mine. We can sell everything forever. Nintendo's been doing that for every generation. Right. And uh, Xbox has been doing it more recently. I don't know about Sony. So but... now that the studios have the mentality of we can sell old games forever, are they going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, let's totally undercut our own sales yeah. from a 90% revenue down to 10% revenue 
by allowing people to digitally resell them. Because again, there is no physical copy. And I think they know that. And my my cynical view is that's why they've pushed towards digital only is because they know they're eliminating the secondary market. Mm-hmm. And that's also why a lot of, especially the AAA titles in the last 10 years, almost all of them have copious DLC, right? Mm-hmm. Price of games hasn't changed. I think it was finally in the recent year, year and a half, it became socially acceptable to charge more than $60 for a game, right? So 15 years ago, a game, a AAA title cost 60 bucks, right? So now, fast forward 15 years, how much is inflation eaten into that? It's more like 42, 41. And the game studios are not happy with that. They want their full 60. They want more than 60. What can we do to make it worth more than 60? Well, if you pre-buy at full price, you get all this extra stuff. If you buy the DLC, oh, look at all this extra content you get, right? And none of it comes by default with the original game. And a lot of DLC is a mixture between actual like new levels and new content or just visualizations, customizations, skins, whatever. There's a good balance between those. That's, that seems like where game studios have gone. It's just a way to make more revenue, period. Yeah, and I, I think that's a shift just in the entertainment industry as a whole. You know, you look at Hollywood, they used to, you know, put out a lot of new movies. Now it's like, no, 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 we want a cinematic universe where we can keep milking this cow for continued profits. And that's the same thing with games. Let's put out the original game and then let's make DLCs to continue to fund development of the same game. So they never have to go through the hard work of actually developing a new game. They can just keep milking that cash cow. Ubisoft made the the engine, I think it was built for Assassin's Creed or something. They made that engine stretch for like nine years. And they built so many games on it. I remember it was a huge deal when they finally, they took an extra year off or something and did not release an Assassin's Creed game because well, they were building a new engine for it. And now they're using that new engine for everything. Yeah, the engine that uh, Bethesda uses for the Fallout and Skyrim games dates back to the 90s. And yeah. they're still using it. With stuff bolted on. Right. Yeah, with a lot of things bolted on and a lot of hacks to continue to, which is why there are some absolutely glorious bugs that you can find. But yep. yeah, I mean, they're, they're still milking that. They don't want to upgrade. And actually that they got from another designer from another studio who made the engine. So like they didn't even pay for the initial upfront costs. They've just been paying it's built the on Unreal engine, isn't it? Yeah. No, it's they're not, not built on Unreal. No. Okay. I know the Unreal um, Engine is used by a lot of games. I wish they would go on Unreal, because Unreal is amazing. Unreal 5 is out of this world. Yeah, Far Cry 5 was built on Unreal 5, and it was just astounding. It was gorgeous and very performant. Uh, I played the heck out of that game multiple times just because it was so beautiful. And the, the engine was amazing. And the, the story is compelling, too, but yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, but that's going way far, to fe- far afield, so yeah, yeah. we should probably wrap this one up. I think so. Well, we're, we're pushing over an hour now. This conversation has been really interesting. I did not expect us to go the depth we did, but yeah, that's the way we do. I bet our listeners have quite a lot to say about some or all that we have discussed here. We'd love to hear from you. We have multiple ways to contact us. As always, we are monitoring the Telegram and Matrix channels, and we have healthy discussion there quite often. You can reach out to us on Twitter. What's the Twitter handle? Remind me. Uh, mine is Q5SYS. That's right, yeah. And, and mine is, is, yep, that's mud that I rarely ever check. But tweet me if you want. Twit, whatever. <laughs> I'm very modern, as you can see. I do a lot of twitting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right, so if you're even more old school than that, you can send us an email to jt at minddripmedia.com, or you can submit something through our fireside. So lots of ways to contact us. We'd love to hear what you have to say. Any closing thoughts, JT? 
Nope, just be excellent to each other. 